Grace, New Hope, and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Randy is teaching on the patient expectation of the powerful unknown. Please turn your Bibles to James 5 as we continue on in our series, Family. Let's listen now. Open up your Bibles to the book of James chapter 5. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up. We're going we're gonna to stand here together in just a moment and read James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We're going to wrap up this book of James. We're starting next week. I'm so excited. We're going to be talking about people who encounter Jesus and the difference that it makes. And we're going to be doing that over the course of, of the spring going up to Easter. I'm so excited about that. I do want to say we, we're going to announce the winners of the chili cook-off. Um, there was a great conspiracy afoot in the chili cook-off. I made chili. I worked on it from midnight to 1.30 in the morning on Saturday night. It was perfection. There is no recipe for perfection. You just do it. I trusted and needed to bring it over. I was here working on my dissertation. She was gonna bring it over. I came out to the judging. Art Smith was over here shielding voters and manipulating voters in the chili line. If you, if you experienced it, I'm not sure. We have signs that say you can't poll within 100 yards of this place. And, we, and Art was just had a sign and was, was manipulating the vote, and I was so disappointed. But, but I'm like, I still have confidence. And then I found out my chili wasn't here. 34 years of marriage, she's never given me a question to, to distrust her. And, and when it really mattered, she let me down. Um, so we're going to announce chili winners today, but, but it's not, you know, take it and win and just realize someone's name was not on the ballot. So, all right, James chapter five, I want to talk to you about the patient expectation of the powerful unknown. We're going to look today at what does it mean for us to be people of a great God? See, you can be a great man of God and be nothing. Because if that God is a small jeep, Ahab was a great man of a bad God, Baal. Elijah was a man of a great God. You can, be, you can be women of a great God, men of a great God, and the world will be changed. But if you are just a great person of a God, nothing changes. So today, we've gotta ask ourselves the question, what is that God that we put in our life? What does that God look like? Are we living in such a way that we are rich in the ways of that God? Or are we living in such a way that we are great, not because of our greatness, but because of the greatness of our God? It's the words we just sang. James chapter five, verse 19 and 20. Would you stand with me and read these two verses? There is an expectation. There's a mystery afoot. It's like if you remember the old Columbo mysteries. There's a mystery afoot. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. See, here's the mystery, because these words look like they're in the wrong order and will cover a multitude of sins. See, it should be cover a multitude of sins and then it should be save his soul from death. We're gonna look at this today, this morning. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. 
The first thing that we want to look at today is the value of God's economy. Chapter five, verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. When he's talking about the rich, just understand this, that's everyone in this room. If you live here in this community, you're rich compared to almost every other place in the world. Most people, we, everyone in this room is in the top two to three percent of people in the world. Now, there's a big difference between three and one, but, but we're in the top three percent. If you're sleeping tonight under a cover and you're going to eat today, you are a wealthy person. He says, he says, come now, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Scripture never, never, ever condemns wealth. Proverbs 10, actually says it can be a sign of blessing. So what is, what is he saying here? Why is he saying this so strongly? Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have corroded. Gold and silver don't corrode. They might tarnish, but they don't corrode. And their corrosion, he's, he's speaking in a hyperbole here, and it's a contrast. They will, they will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Why? You have laid up treasure in the last days. You might wanna underline that phrase, laid up treasure in the last days. He's talking here about the, what will be valued when Jesus comes back. What will be, where will that value be? He says, watch this, because what he's talking about here is not having wealth. He's talking about having wealth through injustice. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Jesus hears. He knows. He knows every injustice. From the, from the deep ones to the little ones. He knows the injustice, and he's gonna talk to us in just a second about how we deal with it when it's injustice. Right now, he's talking to this side of the room, and he's talking to the ones who bring injustice. You see, when you live based on the world's values, do not be surprised when the world gives you value. Don't be surprised on that. Don't be surprised when, when they judge you based upon their values. I wanna show you a picture of a horse. I'm gonna show you two horses today. This is Hillbilly. Um, he's on our farm in Kentucky at, at Asbury. Um, Hillbilly is uh, a quarter horse. And he is, um, this is one of my brother's mares here. You can see she's a little concerned about me. Uh, and she's like, what are you talking about here? What is going on? Look at her. And she is very aware and and. Hillbilly, my brother called me the other day and he goes, he goes, hey, Hillbilly just got more valuable. I said, how did Hillbilly just get more valuable? He said, well, there's, you know, there's a big ranch in Texas called the Four Sixes. The Four Sixes just bought Hillbilly's daddy and now took him down there and they're standing him at, at Stallion. So he went from being a horse that you pay $500 to get a baby from to a horse that you pay like $2,000 just because of who owns him. Nothing changed. That's the world though, isn't it? You know, there's times when you're up and there's times when you're down based upon 
values that the world is kind of setting arbitrarily, God is not like that. Watch what he says. See, he says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Look at this phrase. Underline this phrase. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I wanted to call the sermon that and the worship team said I couldn't put that on a sign. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. My grandma had pigs. Any of any y'all remember grow up on a farm where there were pigs? All right, really simple question here. Which one do you kill, the little one or the big one? The big one. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. When, this is social media. You know, I, I, I do a post and, and, and somebody like slams on it and, and, it like, and I'm like all upset about it. I can't live my heart based on that. You, you can't, you can't, you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you get upset and, and you think about it. And you come home and are mean to your husband or wife. More often your wife. Women are better about this. They just yell right there and then go on. Men like yelling and we think about it. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've put, your, you've put your heart in a place where it's been fattened up on values that are not eternal values. And that's what gets picked off first. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Now watch this. Underline this. He does not resist you. How do you treat the most vulnerable people in your life? How do you treat the people that have no power in your life? The newest employee, the worst kid on the team. I, I saw a counter example of this last week. Grayson got a new football coach and um, the old football coach was a very dear friend. They worshiped here. He, he called me Friday night and said, hey, I'm gonna be in town. Um, let's, I, I'd love to see you. We hung out for a little bit yesterday. We, we did a couple errands and we just sat in his truck for a long time and just talked about life and stuff. And I told him bye. And, and I won't even tell you if a tear flowed down my eye as I walked away or not, but I was very sad. We got a new coach. Didn't know what it was gonna go like. And I, I was... I went over and met him. I was praying as I went over to, to, to meet him, took him a coffee and went over and met him and he was just so gracious to me. I was so thankful for that. But let me tell you something he did last week that was just absolutely incredible. My, my son-in-law, Taylor, who helps out with NG3, that's a sports-oriented ministry that we have here. Taylor went over to see the new coach and meet the new coach and because he works with baseball and he was just there and he knocked on the door and, and another coach answered the door and, and Coach Bryant said, hey. And Taylor said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm, I, I'm Taylor Burnett and I work with NG3 and I just wanted to say hello and welcome you. And he goes, hey, Taylor, thank, thank you so much for coming by. I, I'm, I'm in a meeting right now, but let me get your name and number and I'll call you back. And he did. And the other coach that he was meeting with got up and closed the door and said, hey, thanks for coming by, Taylor. That coach's name was Kirby Smart. 
Now, in that moment in all the football powers, Taylor didn't mean much, and Kirby Smart and Coach Bryant meant a lot. But let me just tell you, in the world of the Rainwaters, Taylor means a lot more. To Sarah, to, to Maverick, to Matthew and Tammy, to, to a lot of us, to God. There, there's no hierarchy there. And right now, Kirby's the talk of the town, and we hope it stays that way. But it might not be five years. How do we value the people in our life who have no power? It's the great question of our faith. And how do we, do we truly see God the way God is? And if you are in a place of oppression right now, just know this. Your value is not determined based on the, the value that the world gives you. If you're in a place of being cast off, pushed away, pushed down, your value is not based up the way that the world does that. God sees. Now he turns to this side of the room to the ones that are oppressed. Look what he says. Be patient, therefore, brothers. You see, he wants us to live in patient expectation. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives, look at this, you might want to underline this, the early and the late rains. When you're a farmer, you, you don't control the rain. You can't water all your crops and actually make money. It's too expensive. You've got to have the rain. When we're planting hundreds of acres of corn, it's got to rain. If it doesn't rain, we're in a lot of trouble. When we're growing hay, the, the number of cuttings we get is gonna depend on how much rain you get. And then the rain's got to stop at the right time so that you, it, it all is about the rain. And it's these early and these late rains. You also be patient. And watch this. He says, establish your hearts. You establish your hearts, but the first thing you're going to do is you're going to live in expectation. You're going to live in the reality of a future. Let's get a little bit Pentecostal here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, live in the reality of a future. Now, here's the great question. Do you think you have one? Maybe you go, Pastor, do you see I'm not young? I don't know how much future there is. Well, we're gonna get to that in just a second in these bottom verses. We live in the reality of a future. The, the promise is in the future. It, it is the fulfillment begins where we are right now, but the promise is in the future. We live in this expectation. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There it is again in the last days. He's saying, listen, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a, this, this future reality, but, but understand this is a real thing. We are living in the reality of the last days. We are living in the reality of the fact that Jesus will one day part those clouds, that one day there will be a judge. And to you that are waiting patiently and to you the oppressors know this, when he shows up, there will be, there is no appeal. He knows. There, nobody, he doesn't have to step into the room. You know, you step into the room and your kids are fighting. And you pretty much as parents, you know what's happened before you walk in the room, right? Why? Because you know your kids. You know the instigators. You know the instigated, these, whatever these ones are. You know. 
God knows this. There is a last days. So this is what he says. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, there's a last days reference. He, he is there. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I think about the Cambodian pastors who were faithful. I sat in a room with the leaders of, of, all, of all of that's happening there, all these churches. I sat and every single one of them, one by one, went through and I very respectfully and with a lot of care said, I need you to tell me about how your families were impacted by the genocide. Four brothers and my aunt, 47 family members, my uncle, my aunt, all my cousins, my six brothers, my two sisters, my parents. I was an orphan. But out of that 200 Christians that remained in that country, God is doing something. We got more churches now out of our little network over there than there were Christians at the end of that genocide. God is on the move. God is doing things. He says, think about the prophets. Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, all of them. Zechariah, all of them killed. Would you want to be Daniel? Think about, think about what these people went through. He says, think about these people. But now look, they got books named after them. But it wasn't easy in the moment. It's not easy to be faithful in the moment. He's, but be patient. Because when the last day comes, do you want to be over here on the oppressor side or do you want to be over here on the patient side? Not even a question, is it? And watch what he says. We're not going to play the victim over here. Listen, we don't play the victim. Because why? Because we live in the expectation of a future. So we ain't playing the victim here. This isn't about, oh, woe is me. Isn't my life hard? No, because you've got a future, church, because you've got a future. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, you've got a future. Watch what he says. Be an example of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained, watch, underline this word, steadfast. Steadfast. How do you remain steadfast? Well, you have to establish your heart. You can't, you can't be living based on the value of the world and be steadfast because that value is gonna go up and down like our little horse. And watch this. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I don't wanna be Job. I'll, I'll take Randy and his little troubles. You've seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now watch this. Here's the big caution. Here's the big caution. Don't cut the corners. Don't cut the corners. When you're tired, don't cut the corners. When you're tired, you want to cut the corners, don't you? When you're tired. You, wh honey, why'd you overreact? I'm, I'm tired. What, why'd you lose your temper? I'm, I'm tired. This is what he's saying. To those that are enduring... After talking all about, he's like, listen, it just seems ironic. He's, he's talking about the prophets who've been, who've been martyred and gone through all this stuff. And then look what he says. It, it seems so small. He says, 
He says, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so you may not fall under condemnation. You have to watch your words when you're tired. Anybody like blow it this week, don't raise your hand. Husbands and wives, you can just poke. Don't do that, don't do that. I saw that, don't do that. I was joking. Truckers have a logbook. Truckers have a logbook. They have to write down how many miles they've driven, how many hours, how much rest they got. That's why you gotta have a journal. I filled up my other one. I filled up my yellow one. I got a blue one. This is anticipation and hope that Kentucky is gonna have a good end of basketball season. Tom Rouse great about this, about journaling. You got, you, you've got, find somebody that knows how to journal and journal. Women are much better about this than men in general. Men, you've got to have a log book. You got to have a trucker's log. If it makes you feel more masculine, just write trucker's log on the front of it. You, you've got to keep a record and account of what's going on in your life to know when you're tired. When you know you're tired, you, you, you gotta be more careful. You gotta, you gotta watch the details more when you're tired than when you're not. The enemy will use those moments. Watch your words. So you live in this patient expectation. You, you, live, you, you, you don't wanna be weakened, you, but, but there are moments when we come to that place. So, so what do we do? Here's the prayer of faithfulness. This is, this is, this is what we do. We've gotta, we've gotta live in this expectation. 13, if any one of you is suffering, let him pray. Now, before we go further, the first note that I have there under weakened by sin is this. Our sin can make us sick. Can make a, our sin can make us sick. It doesn't say all the time. There are places in scripture, lots of places in scripture where there are warnings and, and it's not absolutes. Sometime I need to teach on this. I taught on this years ago, but, but, but Paul gives cautions. Paul gives cautions about the way families work, about the role of men and women. He gives cautions. There are some places, it's not absolutes, but there's some cautions in there. I need to teach on that again sometime. But, but this, is, this, is a, this is a caution. You're gonna see this, and you're gonna see it right here in the text. There there are people who every time someone gets sick, they go, well, that's their fault, that, that there's some sin in their life. Well, go back and read the book of Job and look at what God says to those people. I had a kid in my youth group, we'll call him David. David had cancer. And somebody came to him and said, you have this particular type of cancer because you have animosity towards your father. We were... I, went over, I was over at his house and we were watching the Braves game. That's what we would do. He didn't have the energy to do anything else. We're watching this Braves game and he goes, Pastor Randy, um, can I ask you about this? I said, Dave, you can ask me anything. I think he's gonna talk about what happens you know, at death and stuff. And he goes, um, this guy came over and said, I, I have my cancer because I have animosity towards my dad and if I can get rid of that, my cancer will go away. I said, David, do you see that in the Bible? He goes, I don't think it's there. I said, do you know why I don't think you could find it? He goes, why? I said, because it's not in the Bible. 
I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. As a matter of fact, David, will you, the next time this guy comes over, will you please call me because I'd like to come and show him what animosity looks like. And if you think I'm joking, you don't know me. He goes, I love my dad. He goes, there's nothing between me and my dad but love. Our sin can make us sick. But it doesn't always, that's not always the reason. We're gonna, we're gonna see that. I wanna give that as a precursor. Here's the, here's the first thing he says. If any one of you is suffering, let him pray. Here's, here's, some, here's some plans. Here's what you do when you're, when you're going through things. This is a biblical response to life because life is gonna have all these things. If you're suffering, pray. It, if you're cheerful, sing praise because the best way to spread cheer is singing loud for all to hear. It's in the Bible right here. It is, it's right here. If any one of you is sick, now, underline that word sick and write above it weak because the word doesn't, just means sick. It, it, the word there is weak. If any of you is sick, it, it, it's really not sick. The, the, the word there, the, the Greek word astheneo, it, it's, it's, it's a word for weak. There's other places where that word, there's places where that word is sick. There's places in scripture where that word, and I'm not gonna go deep here, you can figure it out. There's place in that word, place where it's like there's conflict between a husband and wife and there's no spark going on. That's the same word. There, there's places where you, you've got a, something to accomplish and you can't accomplish it. It's the same word. So weak is actually a, a better understanding. It's just he's talking about sickness and stuff here. He says, let him call on the elders of the church. So, so if you're sick, seek help. Let him call on the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, look at this, will save the one who is sick. Again, who is weak. And the Lord will raise him up. Now watch this. And if he, and, not, and it will forgive if they have committed sins, if they have committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, the verse number here, 16, if I were doing this, I would make, six, I would make 17. And the reason I didn't actually put the verse numbers in here in your handout is because I wanted you to pay attention to that. 16b to 20 is the next section of notes. 16, there's, there's a change here. Look at this. It says, the prayer of a righteous person, the Greek is very specific. You know, most of the time, scripture is men talking to men who are then supposed to talk to their wives. That's the general nature of the way in this culture, in this Jewish slash Greek culture, it speaks because a man wouldn't speak directly to a woman. That's when, when Jesus does it, it's such a revolutionary thing. That, but right here, that word is person. It's not, it's, not a, it's not in a masculine sense here. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Take that word 
sick in verse 14 and draw a line down to that word power. You see, when, when power invades weakness, the weakness has to go away. When light invades darkness, what is it no longer? Dark. There is no such... You're caving and you're in a room this big, total darkness. You light a match and you can see the ceiling everywhere. Light, when light invades, when power invades weakness, the weakness has to go away. The power is greater than the weakness. Some of y'all need to say it out loud this morning over what you're going through right now. I look around this room and I can see it in some of y'all's eyes. The power's gotta invade the weakness. Elijah, you go, well, that's good for them because like people like Elijah, they were amazing people. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was just a normal dude. You can write that down in your notes. He was just a normal dude. But God used him powerfully. Why? Because he prayed. Because he said, Lord, use me. First Kings 17, Elijah goes to King Ahab. See, Ahab was a great man of God but his God was Baal. Elijah, on the other hand, was a man of a great God. You get to choose which of those two you are. You can be a great woman of a little God or you can be a woman of a great God. You can be a great man of God or you can be a man of a great God. Ahab was a great man of a bad God. Elijah was a man of a great God. And he goes and he says, listen, you're not leading our country right and we're gonna have, we're gonna have we're gonna have a drought and a famine and God takes him and he takes him and he goes to a, a creek and he, he, he's there by the creek and the ravens bring him food and the creek dries up and the ravens stop coming. And you go, Lord, where is your promise? So Elijah goes to a town and there's a woman there and he says, I'm hungry. And she says, I've just got enough oil and flour for us to eat and then we're gonna die. See, you may be in a place where the thing that you've been trusting in gets taken away and you go, God, where are you? And you go to this place that God sends you and you realize there's somebody that's got way more needs than you got and until you get there, they got no hope. So you get to that place and he and they, they make the oil and, and the flour, and Elijah goes, honey, you ain't gonna run out of oil and flour. And they're fine. And then the boy dies. And she goes, it would, why couldn't he just, if he's gonna die, I kind of was emotionally prepared for it, and now I got hope. And hope that's not fulfilled is like the worst thing. And Elijah goes, no, we're gonna show you a picture. And Elijah goes and he prays and the boy's raised up. And that's a promise. That's the picture of what Jesus would do. It's the picture of what the church would be. It's a picture for Cambodia. It might be a picture for your life and the thing that you're going through right now. That God would use that moment of pain in your life to move you into somebody else's pain. Watch for that. You see, when you pray, God acts. Put this in your notes, and that equals testimony. You don't have a testimony until you go through something rough. Then you got a testimony. Then you got something that somebody else can step into. I was in class. I'm sitting in the back of class. And I'm just crying. 
And Dr. Steve Brown, this great godly man with his voice that sounds what God's gonna sound like, walks back and I'm in the back of class. He goes, Randy, you know the difference between you and all these twits in here? I said, what, Dr. Brown? He goes, you buried your daughter and your dad in six months, didn't you? He goes, I heard your dad was your best man at your wedding. He goes, now you're worth something to everybody else in your churches. Because now you know what it feels like. Now you got a testimony. God uses those things. He was a normal guy. He, Elijah, Elijah then goes to King Ahab. He says, we're gonna let it rain again. It's gonna rain. I'm gonna pray and it's gonna rain. This is, this is to show you. And the leader of, of the country that was Ahab, but his chief of staff was a guy named Obadiah. We don't know if this is the Obadiah that wrote Obadiah because there's 10 Obadiahs in the, in the Old Testament. It's kind of a common name. Like Steve, we got any Steves in the room? We got some Steves. Daniels, we got Daniels. Marys, we got, we got some Marys. Abimelechs, we got any Abimelechs? <laughs> Isn't it funny how some like names like Sarah, we got all kinds of Sarahs, Elizabeths, no Abimelechs, you know? So no Jehoshaphats, you know? I mean, come on. Everyone will know that's a biblical name. Jehoshaphat, yeah. All right, so, so he goes and Obadiah goes, you know, he's gonna kill me if I tell him you're here. And Elijah goes, Elijah goes, tell him I'm here and, the God, and God will take you away to a place unknown. If, God's, if, if somebody said to you, God's gonna take you to a place unknown, how many of y'all are gonna go, okay, yeah. This is like, I don't know what that was. All right. Okay. I was just wondering, you know. That would be a great sermon illustration, though, wouldn't it? You guys would remember. And he, and, and so, so then this is right before the whole thing with the prophets of Baal. It's, this is right before all of that. And God uses that. Your, your struggles that you're going through is the testimony that God will use. But remember this, when you're in the midst of, of the struggle. You have a future. You have a future. When it feels like you don't, you have a future. And watch what he does. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner worship team, come on up here, from his wandering, watch this, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Here's, here's the problem with that. If it was about that person, that person who you, who you redeem, then it would say it would cover a multitude of sins and save that person from death. That makes logical sense. That's not what it says because that's not what it's about. The promise is in the future. Let me, let me show you a very practical Example of this, again, via the horse world. Let me show you a picture. 
This is justified. That's my brother Harold. There's two studs standing right there together, all right? Um, and he's, my brother Harold's watching. He like, he's going he's gonna to like that. He's probably calling me right now saying, thank you, Randy. But this is justified. Justified won the triple crown, I think, in 2018. Won $4 million racing. It's a lot of money. Change your life, man, $4 million. That's a lot of money. That's not where the money is. We got a math person, math person, somebody really good at math. You get your pencil and your pen out and get ready. You should be writing your notes down anyway, all right? But get, get ready. Justifies first year standing as stallion. 157 babies at $150,000 each. I think that's like $21 million. That's a lot of money. He won $4 million racing, first year as a stallion, $21 million. But listen, that's not the value. His babies sold for $375,000 each. First year, it's like $61 million first year. $4 million racing, $61 million first year. The value is in the future. What God's going to do in and through your life, in and through your life, Six years ago, I'm over at the farmhouse. We're doing a morning Bible study at six o'clock in the morning. This guy walks into the Bible study hungover. I walked back up to him when it was done. I sat down, I talked to him for a little bit. I remember saying this to him. God's got something for you, young man. God's gonna use you in mighty ways. Some guys came around him, a guy named Matt Williams got around him, started pouring into his life. That guy's name is Patrick Moran. Last, last Monday, I was at a Kids Life Club, he was teaching, and he was teaching, he's such a phenomenal teacher, and I, I'm not sure that he shouldn't be a children's pastor, I'm really serious, okay? He's up there teaching the kids. He does this amazing example. He goes, he's got this, he's got the curtains up there and he's got the Holy of Holies, this, the Ark of the Covenant. He goes, this is the Holy of Holies. He goes, how many of you guys wanna go to the Holy of Holies? And all the kids are like, yeah. And he goes, well, come on. And all the kids run up there and then this one kid goes, you're all dead, you know. <laughs> it was so funny. He's a great teacher. And Wednesday night, I'm getting ready to leave Lug, and he's back in the back, and like Patrick's eight disciples are all around him. All these guys that he's discipled. Where would they be? Where would they be if he had not been saved from death? See, it covers a multitude of sins. It's not your sins it covers. It's all these other lives. You see, listen, when the Greeks would fight, they'd put the warriors in the front and the teenagers behind them and the old men would be in the back. And the men would know if we don't fight this battle, our children will have to fight it. Ain't nothing changed. The battles we don't fight, we leave our children to fight. 
and the old people were in the back going, boys, your daddy's got this, but if they don't, we're gonna put a hurt on them. Those old men that can't even pick the swords up anymore, but they still got their voice. Your future is not done. Jesus, we are reminded of that as we take communion today. This, this bread and this body, we are reminded that we are a part of something that is eternal, that goes on, that there is a promise that goes past anything we could ever dream of. That you came and you lived, and we remember that with your body, with, with the bread but your blood, this promise of, an, of a covenant, because one day you will come back and we need to live in the expectation of a future. And we do that patiently. We do that with justice. We seek out that justice, but we don't ever forget we have a future. We have a judge. His name is Jesus. He is compassionate and merciful, but he is also true. And one day, one day, there will be justice. One day, there will be fulfilled promise. And in the meantime, we live in patient expectation. We pray, we repent, we grow, because there's a crowd behind us that needs us. And we are not throwing in the towel for us or them.